0: In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 5 through 9.
1: We have a very special study tonight. You say, well, all our studies are special. Yes, but tonight's going to be very, very special. We will have tonight something to offend everyone. We'll play no favorites tonight. We're in the book of Proverbs, chapters 5 through 9. The first nine chapters are really a unit, so we're finishing what some people would consider the first major division of the book. Just by way of review, I have one key question to ask you before we start, and tonight's going to challenge that in several ways. What is your most important stewardship? All of us have various responsibilities, What is our most important one? Is it your career? That's the first thought that pops into many of our minds. Our career, of course, that we can provide for our families and what have you. Or maybe it's not our career, but our family itself. Most of the wives are nodding in agreement at this point, hoping their husbands get the message that the family is more important than the career. But let me tell you, that's not the most important stewardship. Is it your spouse? That comes close. That's even closer than your family in an extended sense. No, it's your heart. One of the things that unites us here tonight is to examine what God has said about the stewardship of our heart. And uh, Proverbs 4, last time, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything else derives out of that. And, but we need to understand that diligence regarding our heart is something that's definitive, denotative, something you can anticipate the threats to, something that you can muster the tools with which you will defend that diligence. Well, the book of Proverbs is God's book on how to wise up and live. We've got a lot of laws throughout the Bible, rules that you shouldn't violate. book of Proverbs goes far beyond that. It goes deeper than that. It goes right to the heart of the issue, No pun, a pun deliberate there. It's beyond keeping laws. It focuses on leading an aggressively dynamic life. This is not a withdrawal um, manual. It's not a call to a monastic order. Quite the contrary. But to lead an aggressively dynamic life. And that may surprise many. Many people see the Christian walk as being a, a walk of denials. Not at all. But it's going to tell about the proper and improper attitudes. Conduct and characteristics, and we're going to find that these issues are are, um, brought to us with a rifle rather than a shotgun, in short, pithy, very poignant summaries. That's why they call it Proverbs, because they're very short little little bullets that will be (laughs) aimed at the issues. Now let's realize that the entire Bible is given by the inspiration of God. Paul tells his protege, Timothy, in the second letter, all Scripture, not most, all Scripture. Augustine says that if you take certain parts of the Bible that you believe and others you don't, it's not the Bible you believe, it's yourself. It's either a package. One of the great discoveries in my life, and I think also in yours, will be when you realize that the whole package is designed as an integrated package. Once you discover that, it opens up in a way it never opens up otherwise. It's internal consistency, etc. All scripture is given by what? The inspiration of God. Now that word in the Greek is actually means God-breathed. We now know from computer studies of all kinds that there are characteristics of the scripture that would not be there if you removed one letter from the originals. Many of the things we talk about in the Torah codes and so forth, fall apart if you take out one letter. You begin to realize that Moses, the five books of Moses were superintended by the Holy Spirit in some astonishing ways, the New Testament also. So, now wisdom is what we're talking about. The traditional, what is wisdom? Most people say it's the ability to use knowledge in the right way. Knowledge is not wisdom. All of us know people that are very knowledgeable that lack wisdom in the way they deal with people, the way they deal with their lives. The biblical term, uh, it points out there is a wisdom of this world. That's not what we're advocating. It's divine wisdom from above. And we're going to discover, especially tonight in one of the chapters we're going to address, is that Jesus Christ is personally visible there in a way that has been recognized by most conservative scholars uh, without, without real... Uh, Uh, competent debate. Well, the outline of the book, wisdom and folly, are going to be contrasted, especially in these first nine chapters. Both are sort of personified. They happen to be uh, feminine gender words in the Hebrew. And so they're pictured, portrayed here rhetorically as women. One called wisdom, one called folly. And that's just a rhetorical device. Chapters 10 through 24 are the Proverbs of Solomon. And these generally were uh, 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 a... the entire book, we'll discover, is really Solomon's. Uh, from 25 to 29, there are Proverbs of Solomon. He wrote over uh, 3,000 of them. They're not all here. But uh, from chapters 25 through 29, uh, these were codified, we think, in the days of Ezra. But these are pulled together uh, by the men of Hezekiah. And then we have a few final chapters that are full of surprises. I'm having a tough time waiting to chapter 30 to share some discoveries there but we have two two uh, passages that are attributed to other than solomon but there's some surprises hidden behind that we'll get we'll deal with when we get there the oracle of agar and the proverbs of lemuel's mother and uh, we'll do deal with that as we get time so we're still in the first unit we took the first four chapters last time it took it talks about three losers throughout the book we'll find we'll see three losers Three classes of people who desperately need wisdom. I won't ask for a show of hands, okay? But uh, there are three three losers. The scorner, the fool, and the simple. All through here, we're going to hear remarks made about the scorners or about the fool and the simple. And most of us read the book superficially would say, okay, those are just the losers. They are distinctively different, each one. And the scorners mock at God's wisdom. Because it is too high for them and because they will not admit it because they know everything. You can find, if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the radio sometime. There's some very prominent Bible commentators that are um, well, w- willing to admit they know everything. And you're laughing because you know who I'm talking about. See, the Hebrew word for scorner literally means to make a mouth. And so you can sort of picture this too in terms of their sneering or curling up their lip and scorn. It always disturbs me when I see Christian commentators attack other Christians. Because that, uh, that's, that's doing Satan's work. Because that's accusing the brethren. And I know where that doctrine comes from. But we'll move on. They never profit from rebuke. And as a result, they will one day be judged. It's not our job. God will take care of that. And all of these, of course, are supported from the book of Proverbs throughout the whole book. The second guy is The fool. He's dense, lazy, careless, self satisfied. Nabal is the word in Hebrew for fool, and of course, Nabal was also an example of that in 1 Samuel 25 that we reviewed last time. I won't take the time to go through that again. But the fool hates instruction. Anytime you hate instruction, watch out. That's a danger signal. You want to be open. You may decide the instruction you're getting isn't what you really thought, but still, openness is critical. The fool is self-confident. That's the great tragedy of religion. Jesus Christ was the most anti-religious person that ever walked the earth. Religion is man's attempt to reconcile himself with God. That's the the most blasphemous form of self-confidence. The fool is self-confident. And of course, he talks without thinking. And all of us... All of us have been guilty of that. Some maybe more than others, but uh, it's it, it's interesting as we go through the book of Proverbs, we're going to get some profound advice, which if we apply, it will cause people to regard as far higher than they would otherwise. Uh, and of course, the fool mocks at sin. The fool mocks at sin, and uh, and many of us in this room in the privacy of our own counsel, before the evening's over, we'll recognize that we've all been foolish in in our lives. And the third group is the simple. Those who believe everything and everybody, and they lack discernment. Well-intended, but lack discernment. They're easily led astray by others. They lack understanding. They can't see ahead. As a result, they repeatedly walk into trouble. And then we have the opposite of these three losers, the winner, so to speak, the wise. And he's, they listen to instruction, they obey what they hear, they store up what they learn, they win others to the Lord, and they flee from sin. Each one of these is documented with a reference, and we, of course, will be seeing much of all of this as we go through the book. They watch their tongue, and they're diligent in their daily work. It's interesting that there's a link between being wise and being diligent in your day-to-day tasks. Interesting. Okay, wisdom and folly. There are three calls from wisdom and three from folly. Wisdom calls us to God and life. Folly calls us to sin and judgment. This is the tension that we're between, each one of us. Wisdom's first call was in the last session, called to salvation. Its second call is to wealth, and its third call is to life. And that will be here in, uh, in tonight's sessions. Uh, the first call was, the, it was to the, for, for salvation was to the fool, scorn, and the simple last time. We're going to have the call to wealth, which is to the fool and the simple, and the call to life to the simple. It's interesting how the, the address gets weeded down, but we'll move on. Folly has three calls too. The first is to condemnation in chapter 5, to poverty in chapter 6, and to death in chapter 7. The chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the core chapters tonight. Chapter 9 is a short one. Those are the, this is the, three, the key core of our, our, our address tonight. What were the results to these people? The scorner rejected wisdom and met instruction. Listened to folly and received destruction. And uh, the fool rejected wisdom and was led to death in chapter 8. He listened to folly and received death in chapter 5. The simple rejected wisdom went to hell. And he listened to folly and ended up in hell. So these are all allusions from the the, the reading session this time. Last time we encountered Proverbs 1-7, which you could... Say is the key verse from last time The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge The fear of the Lord Is the beginning of knowledge and But fools despise wisdom and instruction We're going to see Proverbs 9:10 tonight Which is probably regarded by most commentators As the key verse of the entire book So we'll look at that when we get there So wisdom in the scriptures of course Means the ability to use knowledge properly It occurs in this book 37 times and it means Jesus Christ for the believer today. We'll show you that both from chapter 8 and also from the New Testament. So when you see wisdom, and you, it's, it's idiomatically personified as a woman in the, in, the, in the text, but it's clearly personified as a man, namely a specific man, Jesus Christ, before we're all through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, he has made unto us wisdom. So it'll be useful as you go through. Don't accept my word for it. Check it out yourself. But I think you're going to find as you start studying this pas- these passages that you'll see an identity between Jesus Christ and what, it, what the writer here talks about as wisdom. We also had a key verse that I thought I'd, I couldn't let go by from last time in part of our review here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I don't think we could number the people that make that their life verse. This is probably the key verse to many in a personal way. Every day God finds a new way to ask the question of each of us. Do you trust me? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and guess what? He shall direct thy paths. And uh, he, will, he will open the doors he wants you to go through. He'll also align your desires to be that which he would have you desire. See, he shall direct thy paths. There's another verse that I think is worth taking a look at from last time. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right nor the left. Remove thy foot from evil. As I was reviewing last time's lesson to make a selection, sort of our review segment here, um, I had to include this one because the wise person checks on the destination before he buys a ticket. And we're going to see that exemplified especially tonight. Chapter 5. It is about sexual purity. You have Solomon counseling his son and he's giving him the advice that it's to last him a lifetime and uh, the, the creator of the universe with his own finger wrote in stone in Exodus 20 thou shall not commit adultery and um, This includes sexual sins that are prohibited elsewhere in the Scripture. It's not just adultery in some narrow definition. It's clear as you study Leviticus 18 and Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5 that this is intended to encompass the whole gamut of sexually oriented sins. And it's amazing how many young people assume that fornication between unmarried consenting adults isn't bad. It's a violation of God's plan. We need to understand that right up front. Our Lord spoke of fornications, plural, in Matthew 15, 19. The Council of Jerusalem mentioned fornication and included in that the sexual sins condemned by the law of Moses. And there's a long list of them. And we're not going to waste your time going through that. You can check it out yourself in Leviticus 18 and elsewhere. It's very explicit and uh, it's not rated or PG it's heavy stuff the words adulter- uh, adultery and fornication are inclusive of the various forms of sexual sins so we're not going to waste time here tonight badgering definitions and we're here to try to understand what God would have us understand let's jump into, in in uh, Proverbs 5 verse 1 my son visualize Solomon talking to Rehoboam as a child My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thy ear to my understanding that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil but her end is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. This is strong language. This is the kind of sex education that God gives. God is saying that a pure life should be led for the sake of the home later on. That's what he's going to lay out here. This is far more than just an individual indiscretion. You know, I'm always amused when they speak of victimless crimes. That very term implies that nobody loves them. When you indulge in a sin, you're committing a crime against everyone that loves you. Think about it. And uh, see, there are a lot of problems in the homes in America that started before the wedding, that started with premarital sex, and laid the foundations for the problems later. Psalm continues. Her feet, go, speaking of the, the strange woman, is the woman that's other than a wife it typically implies, in some contexts, a non-Israelite woman, a Gentile, that's among them. There's often a a tendency to equate Gentile uh, behavior and and, uh, fornication behavior together. Her feet go down to the death. Her, Her steps take hold on hell. This is strong language. This isn't a social indiscretion. There's something far deeper involved here. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Um, Her ways are varied is another way to translate that. Um, In other words, such a way to prevent you having true knowledge of her character, and thus any path to true happiness. Thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O you children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her. And come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give honor unto others, give thine honor to others, and thy years unto the cruel. You're talking about bondage, in effect, that you're heading for. Notice that the first step is to flee the opportunity. Many people, when they think of David and Bathsheba, they often, often the movies, they recognize he was glancing off his balcony and saw this gal and... Got excited about it and went ahead. What most people don't realize, there's all kinds of reasons to believe she was... That, that was not the first time they met. There's family relationships that would brought them. He obviously... Uh, I'm not saying he did not wrong. I say there's a prelude that likely happened. It wasn't just a glance, although that would have been sufficient. Um, anyway, let's move on. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and th- thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. You hear in this an anticipation of the nightmares that infidelity leads to. And we could give you, go into all kinds of statistics, but I don't think it takes any insight to realize that venereal disease alone, not that that's the only danger, venereal disease alone, AIDS and so forth, has reached epidemic proportions. Over a 1,000 teenagers get venereal disease uh, contracted per day in America. Over 1,000 per day. I, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. What's he talking about? Is he talking about water? He's talking about your spouse. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers in of uh, waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not, uh, not strangers with thee. Your offspring should be... Uh, from your wife, not from a stranger, is what he's really saying here. It's pretty straightforward language, actually. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? And the embrace, embrace the bosom of a stranger. He didn't put a marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure, but to increase pleasure and to protect the pleasure. Solomon explains the disappointments that come when people violate God's loving laws of sexual purity. God made sex, and to really enjoy sex, you want to get your instructions from the designer. Compromising that design leads to disaster. It also leads to gaining less than intended pleasure uh, from its proper use. And that's, um, I don't think you'll find that in any sex education classes in, 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 that, that, that are given to our kids. And I, and I love verse 19. Because these animals that elude that loving hind and pleasant roe are, are, are um, well-known beauty. Is, is, is the allusion here. And uh, the word ravished here, be thou ravished always in her love, is the, the Hebrew is intoxicated, intoxicated, or fully satisfied, probably comes even closer. It's interesting to see how God speaks of the physical uh, love in a marriage. He lifts it to the highest plane. And uh, we need to remember that marriage was designed by God. All these attacks in our culture are attempting to break down the home. That's Satan's strategy. The home, the family, is a God-ordained institution. For this reason shall man leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. There's a leaving as well as cleaving involved. That's quoted twice by Jesus Christ, Genesis 2.24. In the New Testament. And uh, the whole part of the whole promotion of immorality in our culture, whether it's the homosexual aspect of it or whether it's just the, the uh, adulterous aspect that's celebrated in our media, in our, in our entertainments, and exported uh, around the world, is all Satan's attack on the home. On the home. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. Woo! Nobody's watching. Wrong! There is somebody that never misses a a thing. I'm reminded of the the grandchild that asked grandpa, kind of nervously, Does God know what I'm doing when I'm by my, you know, alone? And the grandfather looked at the the grandson and said, God loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. I love that answer. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. We need to realize that God is watching all the time. And uh, often, I'll be with Nan shopping or something, and I'll be in a grumpy mood or something, and she'll remind me, you know, that I can't afford to act the way I feel like acting sometimes because you don't know that that checkout clerk at the uh, uh, you know at the market or at the bank teller aren't one of our subscribers.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources visit the iTunes or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.